time? Now, this is a leading question. Wouldn't you like to do that, have that feeling all the time? Okay. Well, we are asking the congregation uh, to serve the poor once a month, uh, to give two hours on a Saturday once a month. The uh, slogan we came up with is 1224, serve. You guys are a sharp bunch right here. Um, Twelve months in a year, two hours on a Saturday, do the multiplication. It's give a day back to God. That the least we can do, for as much as we have been blessed with health and wealth, the least we can do, the least we can do is to give one full day, 24 hours, back to God serving the poor. Amen? So I will be encouraging you and helping provide opportunities with our champions for the poor, the team. We have our second meeting this Tuesday night at my house. It's going to be amazing. And I'm really, really grateful for all those that volunteered to direct the program. But I really want to encourage you, challenge you, challenge myself, that when we help the poor, we're helping God our... We're helping God Himself. And uh, we'll be talking more about that. But uh, I also want to say, who let the dogs out? What was going on up there with all those dogs? Oh, Jack, you liked my joke. Stop. Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, if you would. Uh, we have a, a lesson here today that I think you're going to like. Um, the first words of Jesus is the name of the lesson. And we're doing a series kicking off the new year called Return to Me. And uh, like anything, why is the gym so full in January? Because people need to return to a few things. You walk into the gym and you go, wait, that's my machine. You don't say it, but in your heart, you're like, that's my bicycle right there. That, there's never anyone at this time on that bike in this court. She's on my bike. They're on my, you know, but it's because in January, everybody goes, man, I've got to repent here. I've got to get after these cookies that have formed around my waist, and I've got to get after it, you know, after the holidays, and I've got to get determined. And it's not just that, it's with a lot of things. We love new starts. God made us that way. We love rebooting, restarting, getting a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. We love restarting. And today I'm going to do a Bible study with you out of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, you know, when we use the word repentance, it brings up different things in different people's hearts. But you know, it's interesting that the Son of God, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Malachi to the book of Matthew, there was 400 years where God did not speak at all. They call it the silent years. No inspired revelation. No words from God. All they had was the Old Testament and a big period or exclamation mark in silence. And then 400 years later, this wild man, John the Baptist, comes on the scene. And His first words to the crowds are to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I don't know about you, but I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word repent. But it's interesting that Jesus, after John was put in prison, and He was silenced from being able to go out into the crowds. Now, I bet John was preaching the word to the prison guards and the other prisoners. The Bible doesn't say that. But could you guess that John was preaching the Word till they took his head? And I'm sure repentance came up in the prison cell as he had a chance. But John was taken off the scene and Jesus now, at 30 years old, comes on the scene. And it's interesting when you think about of all the things Jesus could have introed, His very first sermon, the God in the flesh, 
speaking to humankind right there before their eyes. And the first word that comes out of his mouth is to repent. See, if you get prideful about that, if you feel a defensiveness, who are you to tell me to repent? You don't understand repentance. You don't understand that repentance is God's plan from the beginning all the way to the end. And repentance is life-giving. We need to love repentance. And I hope by the time we're done with our study of Luke, your understanding of repentance will motivate you to embrace repentance, to look for new ways to repent, and to love repentance. Matthew 4. And we ask ourselves, why should we repent? Well, Jesus said here in Matthew 4 and in Mark 1, the people living in darkness, He quotes a scripture from the Old Testament, have seen a great light. You know, when you repent... Things that are kind of fuzzy, shadowy, or dark in your life suddenly illuminate. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For any of you that have had to stay up all night, you know that gray, shadowy look. When it's almost morning, you're like, oh, yes, it's coming. And there's, this is a room full of sinners. Am I being accurate? Okay. That have repented and are continuing to repent and because they made a decision to do the big R, the big repentance, a light has dawned for us. I love being a Christian. I love my life. I've been a Christian 23 and a half years. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in any, under anyone else's charge than Jesus. A light has dawned in my life. And if you're a true Christian and if you just quiet yourself for a minute and you just take out a pencil and paper and write down how much God's brought you from death to life. How a light has dawned. You feel encouraged. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You know, I grew up uh, in a traditional religious home where we had to go to church every Sunday and everybody's complaining all the way out the door. Bedhead, you know. Big, uh, dad's honking on the horn. Uh, there was eight kids in our family, and for whatever reason, you know, mom took charge. I don't know what that was all about. Mom took charge, and she marched us to the front of the church late. So there's like, you know, big guy, little guy, little guy, little guy, little guy, and we're just all bedheads just walking to the front of the church. But God, to me, always seemed. I'm very thankful for my upbringing because it taught me to believe in God, to have faith in God, that God is real, that I should fear God, but I didn't really follow Him. So I'm thankful for the foundation. But to me, the kingdom of heaven, or God, always seemed like a distant relative. Kind of, I know I'm related, but it's far away. We kind of look alike, but I'm not totally sure. They have the same name. Now, who is she married? Like, God was a distant relative. And I'm so thankful that when I learned how to have my own relationship with God, I realized, well, God's not that far away. I can walk with God because of repentance and what Jesus has done for me on the cross. In Mark 1, 14, the same story told again. Jesus says, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. And what? Believe the good news. And if the gospel isn't good news to you, you just lost touch. You've stopped repenting and you can get back. Why should we repent? Repentance means the opportunity of a new start. The chance to correct what man 
has left, had left crooked to fill in that which is wanting in one's life. What is repentance? You know, repentance, uh, there's many Greek and Hebrew words for it, so I put them all together and uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll show you right here. The word repent, it means remorse or regret. That leads to something. See, we all feel remorse and regret when we sin. From the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid. They felt, it says, shame. They hid from God. They started getting defensive and making excuses. They shrunk back from God versus walking with God. Repentance means remorse, which means like a a guilt, feeling of guilt, or regret that leads us to change one's life. See, if you have remorse or regret, but it doesn't lead you to change your life, it's not repentance. It's not of God either, by the way. It's based on a complete change of attitude and thoughts concerning sin and righteousness. See, a lot of people want to change their life, not because of sin or righteousness, but just because of the effects that sin brings in our life. But when you, and that, that motivation only lasts a short time. I feel bad. I remember many times on a, on a weekend feeling very hungover from drinking, say, and just dirty. And physically foul. Do you know I'm just bad? You guys are looking at me like you've never, okay. When you get hungover, it, your body goes through this withdrawal of all the toxin, and you feel bad. Like, not bad, but really bad. And I remember at times saying to myself, that's it, I'm cleaning up my act, I'm not gonna live this way anymore. This is just bad. It's, I feel bad. And then the next week, and woo! You know, I'm just like, Jackie, stop it. Bigger sinner. I just know Jackie. If you know Jackie, you, you'd know. Oh, stop. Jackie's heckles me all the time. It says, man, this is a rough job. Let me just tell you. Now I lost my train of thought for a moment. Concerning sin and righteousness, it called, repentance means to think differently afterwards or to reconsider. Is this how I want to be? Is this the direction I want to go? And to change our thoughts and our attitudes. The word repentance, a change of mind which results in a change of lifestyle or a conversion. And so we should have the big R where we repent fully, where we're going in this direction, and we turn and we start going in a different direction, and we get born again. Our life changes. We stop living the way we were with a whole different mindset. And then the rest of our life, we keep repenting. The little R. Where we're always repenting. Turn over, if you would, uh, in the Scriptures to Luke chapter 5. I have Matthew on there. I apologize about that. But Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 27 and we do our study out of the book of Luke. I think it will be very uh, helpful to you about repentance. You know, Luke is a physician. And Luke was not an apostle. He went and interviewed the apostles to get information to put together in his book. And most doctors are thorough. Thank God. I would be a horrible doctor. I have terrible fine motor skills. And I don't like a lot of details. So let's just thank God that I'm not a doctor. But doctors are detail-oriented. Why? Well, high stakes, margin of error, small. But Luke was a doctor. And it's interesting that he spoke about repentance more than any other writer of the four Gospels. Thirteen times 
In the Gospel of Luke, you see the word repent or repentance, and all of our study will come out of the Gospel of Luke about repentance. In, Matthew, or in Luke 5.27, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We all need to continually repent. Let me say that again. You and I all need to continually repent. If you don't even know what I'm talking about, you're, you're, you're out of touch. And hopefully today as we look at the Scriptures, you'll get in touch. And as you feel that fear of, well, if I get in touch, I'm going to feel shame, regret, bad. Well, hopefully that will then lead you to change your way of thinking and to have a whole new thought process about sin and righteousness. A whole new change of mind, which is what the word repent means. See, everyone needs to repent. These religious people didn't buy into that. You know, you see Matt Levi, he was a Jew that had sold out to the Romans. It was as betraying as you could get. He was dirty. So not only was he in collusion with the Romans, he was getting fat, money-wise. Of he, whatever he charged on top of what the Romans wanted were, was his pay. And so what do you think people did? They became very rich. So Jesus walks up to his tax booth and he says to Levi, Levi, I see something different in you. If you would change your mind, if you would change your way of thinking, there is so much of a better life for you than money, than this stuff. And you know what, Levi, even though your, your fellow Jews don't like you, even though you know you've been a traitor, even though you know you've gotten dirty, even though you're full of shame, I see something better in you. Isn't that what drew you to God? Isn't that what drew you to repentance? That God would look at us in all of our garbage and say, I see something better in you. I created you for something more. And, and that's a real thing. And what does Levi do? See, this is the life of a Christian. He gets up. If you're a Christian that will never get up, always sitting there, always laying there, but you won't get up and do something for God, you're going to need to do some repenting if you want to make it to the end. What else does he do? He left his tax booth. And it says he left what? What did he leave? So what is a Christian? A real Christian? He, it's he or she that's someone that has left what? If you have to ask, what's everything? You haven't left it. And I love when I challenge somebody, have you ever left everything? They say, well, you have shoes. Have you left everything? You're not Jesus. Where's your robe and sand? I mean, like, come on. It's a sense of yielding your whole will, your whole life, your whole everything. God, here's my kids. Here's my schedule. Here's my car keys. Here's my checkbook. Here's my wallet. Here's my home. Here's my family. Here's my dreams. Here's everything. I'm leaving it for you. So, man, I'm not going to do that. What's... What's going to be left for me? Well, the apostles felt the same thing, even said that. But Jesus said, with man, it's impossible to make those kind of changes. With God, 
Everything's possible. We can change in such amazing, amazing ways. And then he followed. You know, that little statement there is a great, quick litmus test for the Christians. How about it? Are we getting up to go pray to God? Are we getting up to go serve the poor? Some of you didn't serve the poor yesterday because you didn't want to. Do you know God saw that? Go, Marco, you're making me feel guilty. Good. Now repent. Don't just stay in remorse and regret. Change your mindset. You were created to serve people and to serve God. That's when you feel filled. But God calls us this little test. Are we getting up? Are we still leaving everything? We're like, I don't want to, but I'm going to anyway. And are we following Jesus versus just taking notes and attending a church? It's interesting that the religious people said, Levi was so fired up. What does he do? He gets all the tax collectors together. And what's he saying really? Guys, if I can change, you can change. And I wonder how he got them to come. You know, hey, I got this huge party and I got a special guest. Who is it? Just wait. And maybe they thought he was bringing a bunch of women. Maybe they thought he had the chief of chief tax collectors giving him some new tips. And walk, here walks in Jesus at the banquet. Who's this? This is my friend. This is the guy that changed my life. Wouldn't you want to bend there that day to see the faces of all those tax collectors? All right, uh, well, what? What do you want? Like, I mean, just the challenge. But the Pharisees got critical and said, why are you eating with those dirty people? And Jesus says something at the end that he's saying to us. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, what did I say at the beginning? What did we say together? What are we... So who's he calling? So if we don't feel like we need the doctor, if we don't feel like we need to keep repenting, we're drifting from reality. We're out of touch. And we're on our way to becoming like the Pharisees and the tax collectors who just eat with each other of this Christian cocoon. Where we walk in our room, we have only Christian friends, we, we don't see our sin. We don't challenge each other. And suddenly we institutionalize discipleship. Getting up, leaving everything, and following. If that's something you just did 23 years ago, woo, you missed it. It's something that we have to wrestle with constantly. You know, I, you know some areas I need to repent in? Would you like to hear? Oh, I now you're paying attention. I, I know how you are. I mean, I, I know it. Something that hit me yesterday, and I was with the, I had the meeting yesterday, and uh, Douglas Arthur did a lesson uh, out of Philippian, Philippians one, and then Wyndham Shaw did another lesson with the top leadership of the church, and I was convicted. I shared it with the group that I'm just a judgmental person. Now, some of you go, "Yes, you are." Well, okay, help me repent, and I'll help you repent. If you just thought that, then you're judgmental too, and we'll repent together. But I just. Not all the time, not with everyone, but it's just this kind of subtle, just I'm sizing things up. I'm a leader. Leaders size things up. But I realized, even as I was praying, at the, praying about it this morning, in the, just the pride of, well, why did they say that? I would have not said that, as if I'm the standard. Why is she doing it? I wouldn't have done that. Well, the reason they're saying that is because they're lazy. Or the reason they're thinking, like, I just realized, man, God, help me. 
And I see it in impatience as well, which is just more pride. You know, our whole family, you know, three, three, of, three of the five of us, came up with prayer acronyms for 2012. You say, what is that? Well, we figured out what are some areas that we need to repent in that we can pray about every day and we can pray about with each other. And so mine is first, not putting myself first, but putting Jesus first. What's first? Family first. You say, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, but I can put work first. Any men relate? Okay, you five honest people, let's talk afterwards. I can put work first. And then I work really hard, so then I, you know what I like to put first next? Me! Working out, playing, my, just release, just kind of what I like. Anybody relate? Maybe it's ESPN Sports Center for you, or it's trail running for me, or getting on my bike, and the kids want this, and Michelle wants that. It's like, ah. And so a couple times this week, I was like getting ready to just get on the bike, you know, just in my mind. And I, no, family first. I had all good reasons where I could have sold you on it. But family first. Two, increasing dependence on prayer and the Word. Why? Because I know how to be a Christian, which is scary. I have to dig in. And so I made a decision to work as hard as I can this year to get up while it's dark and go pray. I texted Jackie this morning. She got mad. And Steve, he's like, why are you waking us up? I said, what did I say? Something, he has risen or go tell the, uh, something like, just... Um, R is radical gratitude because I can get ungrateful. Radical humility, I already shared about that. And radical love for the poor and the weak. S is structured discipline. I'm very disciplined in some areas and not in others. So I want to be more disciplined with how I use my schedule, getting up in the morning and my monthly budget. Not in debt, but the monthly budget brings stress from lack of discipline. And T, I want to be a trainer this year that expects another. Well, let's talk about how you repent. Let's get down to it. How do you repent? Well, Luke eleven twenty nine. if you can turn there. How do you repent? You know, this, this passage in Matthew, this same passage, they're telling Jesus, Jesus, give us a sign. Give, really what they're saying is, give me some motivation. Wow me to repent. Prove to me you're powerful. Wow me. Come on. And Jesus says, as the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign. He says, I've done enough. My word is enough. None will be given except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so it will also be the Son of Man to this generation. The Queen of the South, it's talking about the Queen of Sheba, you can go read about it in the Old Testament, will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came to the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something, what a cool statement, now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh, talking about Jonah and that whole story, go read the book of Jonah, it's four pages or three pages. The, the men of Nineveh, talked about in that book, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. You know, what is he talking about here? How do you repent? You've got to believe and obey Jesus' words. You know, right behind me on the screen 
is the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's not all of them, but that's the book of Isaiah. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947 by a Qumran uh, sh- a man that was wandering around uh, out, in the, out there with his sheep there, and he threw a rock in a, in a cave, and he heard this pottery break. It was the greatest discovery ever archaeologically about the validity of the Bible. Because people always say, as an excuse, it's all, it's all a smokescreen. Well, you know, the Bible's changed a lot, and a lot of different people wrote it. And I said, well, have you ever read it to check out that? Well, you know, I mean, it's really long. And, um, plus, plus, you know, it's, the original language has been changed. I go, have you ever studied about that? 20,000 manuscripts out there today? I mean, you sure could have found one. And Well, you know, and doesn't the Bible say about women that it's like oppressive? And Really, what scripture are you thinking of? Well, I don't know any, but... You know what I'm just They took the book of Isaiah from 1947 and they went back to the original manuscripts that they already had and found almost no errors. I mean, because everything was handwritten, there's some grammatical errors. But overall, match. From thousands of years earlier. It was like the greatest discovery. You go, what's the point? How is that supposed to help me repent? That old scroll. Now, I did get to visit the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I was up on the glass, just like looking at these little scraps of paper, like waiting for the power to come, but it didn't, didn't come. It's not there. I'm a history fanatic, so I'm like, oh. And all the brothers are like, bro, oh, man, I mean, how many, you know, look at the paper. I mean, it's just it's the same piece in each glass, just different. You don't read Hebrew anyway, and... Kevin Maines, if you know Kevin, he keeps walking back in the museum. <clears throat> Michelle was the trooper, though. She, like, hung by my side almost all the time, but she had a limit, too. And uh, You know, if you want to repent, how you repent is you believe and obey the words of Jesus. That they're real to you. That you don't just listen to them and get stirred emotionally, but you obey them. Do you know there's a life-giving power when you obey them? When you go, okay, this is how I think. This is how he says to think. We're not matching, not feeling it, but here I go. Your life changes. And it's not like you come to church, you sing some songs, ooh, I feel so much better, and then you leave and nothing changes. Your life changes when you repent and believe so much that you're willing to stake things on it and obey the Word of God. I love studying the Bible with people because what's unique about our church, it's not patented, it's just unique. We call and teach people how to apply and obey the Bible. If there's any witnesses to that, raise your hand. Okay, now, if you're visiting today, look at this. I've got like 300 witnesses today. <laughs> That's true. And it's not just the minister does it. We do it with each other. Now, we get rusty. And hey, you don't ask me, I won't ask you. But when we're doing well, we put our life, our family, we stake it all on the Word of God being real and being true. You know, not only have we needed, did I, have I needed to repent this year, and I'm excited about these areas, I'm praying about them every day, but the whole family got together and we put together Seven goals this year that we could repent as a family. You want to hear them? Because we're the P's, Pelizzeri P, you know. And uh, so we came up with seven P's. Ready for them? Really easy. And we all came up with them together. I guided it, but practice patience. Number two, 
Positive words. Now, you can steal any of these if your family has some of these areas that they need to repent as well. Positive words. Three, play a lot, because I can be kind of serious. Number four, participate in serving the poor once a month. It's cool to hear Tally. Participate in serving the poor once a month. I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm brainwashing her. This is what a Christian does. Number five, pleasant mornings. Parents, anyone relate? I'm not talking, I'm not a morning person. Just to, trying to get everybody out of the house. Dun, 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 you know what I'm saying? Did you like that? And number six, um, pray daily. I forgot a couple of them, but I will repent of those too once I go look back at the list. <laughs> but those are things that the Pelizzeris need to work on. Our seven Ps. What does your family need to work on? How about you? You say, I have no idea. Then you're not aiming for perfection the way the Bible says. And it's not perfection like we understand in our English word. It's perfection in a sense of completeness, spiritual maturity. First Corinthians says to aim for perfection, to keep, just like with the bow and arrow, just like shooting a target with a gun. You keep trying to get the bullseye even though you miss it. You're trying to. Appreciate Rich Sanchez. Rich was called to lead a small group and go way out of himself. Where's Rich? There he is in the back. And I've heard that Rich is stretching his faith. He's putting his faith in the Scriptures that God can change me. And he's growing to be stronger spiritually because he's deciding to repent and say, hey, I can do more. Appreciate Henry called me uh, towards the beginning of the year and said, hey, you know, Lon and I have been talking. I lead on a lot of levels, but we want to lead a small group. We want to get grassroots, lead a small group, and help on both levels. Even though Henry's doing a ton, we want this for our own hearts. Appreciate the... the um, uh, Richie's told me the child said, hey, we want to help more in the sense of serving in the teens. And so they're going to help shepherding, help shepherding in the teens. Appreciate the Thomases uh, stepping up a year ago when all the small group, all the uh, community group leaders got sent to all the different ministries to strengthen them. Appreciate the Thomases stepping up, going out of the comfort zone, growing and doing a great job with their community group. Let's believe and obey Jesus' words. There is so much power. We don't need an old... 2,000 year scroll to hold in our hands or 3,000 year scroll. We've got the Word of God in our hands, in our mouth, in our hearts. Let's go to Luke 13. Now, we're gonna, if you look at these scriptures, it's gonna get progressively more challenging. So I'm warning you now that it's gonna get a little more challenging. We went from the surface, and then what are we gonna do? We're gonna go a little bit deeper, then a little bit deeper, and a little bit deeper. Luke 13, the Jews had this fallacy that if you did something wrong, then God punished you. So they come to Jesus and they say in Luke 13, now there was some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered. So they said, hey, what did these people do to be, get, to be able to be jacked up this much? I mean, they must have done something really bad. And Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you what. No! But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? So He brings up this natural tragedy. And then He brings up this horrible thing that the Romans did to this group of Jews where they killed them and then took their blood and mixed it with the pagan sacrifices. And the Jews are like, man, what did they do? They must have really done something bad to have that type of bad luck. Jesus says, no. Do you think they're worse sinners, either of them? 
He says, I tell you, you're in the same boat as them. Unless you repent, I tell you, he says, you too will all perish. And then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it but did not find any. So he took the man who took care of, he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree. Now we're going a little deeper, okay? Don't get, don't put the guards up. And I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone! For one more year, and I'll dig around it, and I'll fertilize it, and if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Secondly, we've got to, how do you repent? You've got to dig around the roots. You've got to dig around the roots. Are you a surface person? I mean, are you a vulnerable person? Do you confess your sin regularly? If we all said we're sinners, then the Bible says in James to confess our sins to each other so we can pray for each other, get healing from being open with spiritual people, Get forgiveness from God, 1 John 1, walking in the light. And there's a continual cleansing, 1 John 1 says. When was the last time you confessed your sins? If you're not being open about your sin, you're not digging around the roots. You know, you you see here a fig tree on my left. Right? Left here. You can't tell how healthy that fig tree is just from walking up to it. It leaves. To see if it's got fruit, you've got to move some of the leaves away and look up close. You say, well, if I look up close, I'm going to feel bad about myself. Well, here's how I take correction. I don't like it, but I've decided not to resist it because the Bible says you're stupid if you do. Is that biblical? Okay, not being insulted. That's the word it uses. I don't like it because I feel bad at the time and I want to be perfect and I'm so far from it. But I say, you know what? If what they're pointing out makes me feel bad and it is bad, well, I'd rather know and do something about it than just feel bad and pretend and be leaves. What does every Christian want? They want to be fruitful. They want to feel they're not just using up the soil. They want to feel like God still has great dreams in the third decade, in the fourth decade, in the last decade, in the last breath, that they are walking with God. And if you remove the leaves, you'd see the figs. You know, God wants us to dig around the roots. Had a really challenging talk with Chris Van Staten, one of my main leaders there on the west side. And he repented. Wasn't any major sin, just not focused. Prioritizing. Get after it. Come on, man, we're talking about serious business here. This isn't just an organization. This is God's church. And I appreciate that we had another hard talk and another hard talk, not because he was stubborn, but because it just takes some time to move the leaves sometimes. It takes some time sometimes to dig around the roots and put in some fertilizer. But he's repented in a very short time and God's blessing the repentance. I need people to dig around my roots. You need people to dig around your roots. If you don't want people to go below the surface, what are you hiding? And who are you hiding it from anyway? It's when you deal with the roots that then there's fruit. If you don't deal with the roots, you're going to stay leaves. And so though you may look alive, and the leaves are blowing, and it looks green from afar, 
Somebody comes up and look, huh, it's kind of weird. Huh, it's kind of weird. Let me try the other side. Let me get a ladder. Huh. It's funny. Last year there was nothing either. And I know that some of us are naturally more accused, and I'm not trying to make you feel guilty in the wrong way. I'm just saying a Christian has the Holy Spirit coming in from the roots and making him or her vibrant to where spiritual things happen to them and through them if we're willing to dig around the roots. You know, I asked Steve, hey, tell me some people in your group that's repentant. Steve goes, well, of course I have. And no, he didn't say that. I'm just kidding. That's just how I roll. And uh, he, he didn't say that. He says, I don't need to repent. I've, I've repented a long time ago. Oh, I know. Next week, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it next week. I know. I got two. I got two. Now, Jackie, we're not going to give her the pulpit. But anyway, um, uh, he said, you know, Jay Johnson has made some great steps of repentance. I said, well, I texted him back early this morning. How? He said he's being more kind to his wife. Okay, his wife's nodding his head. I'm like, that would have been rough for me, Jay, and Steve. And she's like, leaves. Um, But I appreciate that. Where do you need to repent? Big R, little r. Major adjustment, minor adjustment. Don't play dumb. I don't know. There was a guy in the campus ministry, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, that always say to me, I'd say, hey, Dave. Hey, what happened with blank? What? I literally say to him, you heard me? What do you mean, what? Oh, I know. You know, just... <laughs> don't be a what? Deal with the roots. You know, as we talk about missions, we're going to have a missions devotional in February to start early. I want everyone this year to give something to missions. You're not giving it to me. It's nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with you has everything to do with the souls that were born in a different part of the world that are barely getting by. And so we need to support those missionaries to take the Gospel to people that are barely getting by. We're not barely getting by. That's not the U.S.'s problem. We have other problems of excess. But much of the world is barely getting by. And they need our sacrifice. So let's dig around the roots as it comes to missions and uh, early June. And everybody gives something. And I don't mean, hey, what do you know? I got a few dollars. No, plan for it. Think about it. You know, as we're having our financial self-checkups, don't just go surface. Deal with the roots of your heart. Answer the questions. Have a heart-to-heart. Repent and see what God does. As we're going to have midweeks, and you're the one that's always missing, I'm looking right at you, wherever you are. Don't just be like, I do Sundays because traditionally that's what all Christians do, but Wednesdays, what? I'm looking for you. Say, really? Yes. Why me? Because I care. And your whole small group's looking for you too. No, I'm just kidding. But Luke 16. Let's dig around the roots. We're bringing it for landing here. This one's going to get more challenging. Is that okay? Oh, I just got to show you this real quick, this picture. You know, in the, in the 90s, uh, the farming's up right now, but farming goes really up and really down. And then in the 90s, farmers were dying so bad, they got into something called agri-entertainment. One farmer brought in, we could bring in 15 grand for letting you pick a piece of fruit. 
or throw a bale of hay or pet a goat or hey, how many of you have been to like the wannabe farms just taking the kids or it's actually really fun. What's well, a huge multi multi million dollar business now? Agra pleasure, agra entertainment. Let's not make that the church where we just come and pretend like it's a farm. Come on, Johnny, get your sippy cup and get on the John Deere. Woohoo! Like let's let's be Christians that farm, not pretend that we're farming. Okay, this next passage is going to be a little more challenging. Then we're going to lift it right off. We're winding down. Luke 16, verse 19. You've got to examine your passion and priorities. There was a rich man who dressed in purple. You say, I know this passage. Well, listen differently then. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment or in hell. He looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. Now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place or fixed so that those who want to go to, from here to you cannot. Now, how many of those in hell do you think now want to come over to heaven? Think there's anybody going, I don't know about this repentance thing. I don't totally understand it. Scripture's been around a long time. Change. Do you think anybody's having those personal debates? Repentance goes to the top of the list. He said, you can't. It's fixed. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. Now, how many people that didn't care about their family spiritually on this side, once they're on the wrong side, on the other side, are suddenly going to care about their family coming? The reality of it. Everybody. He says, please, I... Let, let them warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have most in the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Look at what's said here. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Do you know, if you got defensive with this Scripture, it's because there's an area of your life you don't want to repent. Heaven is real. Do you know if you did a poll today, go Google it. How many people believe in heaven? 70-80%. How many people believe in hell? 4%. Why is that? Is it because we're so good-natured that we couldn't imagine a place like hell? No, it's because we go, I don't know, man, if there is one, then I've got to consider what's my deal and, and I'd have to really rationalize and I'm doing pretty good at it without feeling bad, so I don't want to think about it. La, 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 la. 
You've heard me share this before. I told my dad before he died, two years before, after his third open heart surgery in his life, I said, Dad, are you ready to meet God? He said, I'm not going to worry about it. I said, Dad, you better worry about it. It's real. Not going to worry about it. I said, Dad, not going to worry about it. What are you going to do? Change his mind? I said, actually, you can change God's mind. Not going to worry. He walks out of the room. So he went the route of the ostrich. Danger? You know, the keister is still sticking out. Still a large target. But in his mind, the wolf is gone. It's gone. So the next day, last time I brought up to my dad after sharing with him for 20 years, or almost 20 years, I said, Dad, are you ready to meet God? So I'm not worried about it. He said, if I go to hell, I go to hell. He said, what, he said, you know, the nuns shoved that down my throat. I said, Dad, that was like when you were 12 to 15. I mean, come on. Don't you look at life differently in your 80s or late 70s than when you were 12 to 15? Don't want to talk about it. Out of the room. That was our last spiritual conversation. What's your passion and priorities? This man became rich. I'm going to assume it wasn't illegal. He was a driven dude. He had his stuff on straight. His lawn was cut. He had good neighbors. He had business. He knew how to manage money. He was the deal. Maybe it was all cheating. I don't know. But let's just assume it wasn't. But he was on it. He was somebody that you would look at and go, that guy's got it going on. Problem was, he stepped over the poor. And his passion and priority was about building this kingdom rather than that kingdom. And so the words of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is near didn't resonate with him. What resonated to him is, my kingdom is here! What would Jesus say to you? That you're living for his kingdom and that it's near, it's almost right there and you're reaching for it? Or my kingdom is here! You will not lack motivation to repent at this point. And you can tune out this passage because it hits a little too close to home or it's a little too negative or it's not politically correct, but the most loving human being that's ever walked the face of the earth that never did anything wrong to anyone, never had a judgmental thought like I shared, never was sinful once, not even a thought, said these words. He said, I've been to the other side and heaven is so real, I just can't wait to get you there. It's so real, and hell is so real, I can smell it. Don't gamble. Examine your passion and priorities. Some of you sexually, you're messed up. It's all about your kingdom, what you want. You think you're going to get to heaven doing that? Your heart will get harder and harder and harder and harder and harder and harder, and you keep looking at the pornography, and you keep messing around outside of God's plan for marriage. And you keep doing it, and you keep doing it. You don't think your heart's going to get harder and harder and harder? It may look soft on the outside because you're nice to your coworker, and you're nice in the cubicle, and you thank Bev at the, at the counter every day when you come into work. Hi, Bev. But deep down, your kingdom is here. Not his kingdom. And you step over the poor man. You're the exception. You're too busy. Your priorities are as such. I've got I to get it going. You know, in the last three years, I was on a bike ride. Guy got hit right in front of me. Could have been me. Can't speak any, now he can't speak and he can't hear. And he's still on a respirator since April. 
Another guy, my daughter's soccer coach, which is a hero to so many girls. He coached them from like 7 till 18. He's out riding his bike. He's in Lomita. has a stroke at 49 years old. Boom. In the grass. His wife calls and calls. She doesn't, can't find him. He doesn't come home. He, she calls her police friend. Her police friend says, call the hospitals and ask for John Doe. So sure enough, John Doe, her husband, was on a respirator. Had a massive stroke at 49 years old. He was out there trying to get in shape. Found him in the lawn, someone's lawn in Lomita. Some of us, we've got to repent of our materialism. We've got to repent of our cowardice. We've got to reprioritize our passions. You know this guy right here? Anyone know who that is? I'll give you everything in my pocket, as Henry says. Problem is, all I have is a Kleenex that I blew my nose with. But, um, anyone know? Huh? Who? I don't know. It's Alfred Nobel. And Alfred Nobel, toward the end of the 19th century, one of the wealthiest men in the world. His dad was in explosives. He was in explosives. And he perfected dynamite. And he made a lot of money. And his brother died working for the business. And he gets the paper out and he looks at the old bits and he sees... Alfred Nobel died today. And the guy got it wrong. It was his brother. And he read the obituary and it said, Alfred Nobel, quote, the inventor of dynamite who died yesterday, devised a way for more people to be killed in a war than ever before. And he died a very rich man. End quote. Actually, it was his older brother who died and the newspaper reporter bungled the epitaph. But the account had a profound effect on Nobel. He decided at that point, at the end of his life, there he is thinking about it right there. He wanted to be known for something other than developing the means to kill people efficiently and and amassing a fortune in the process. So he said, I'm going to initiate the Nobel Prize, the award for scientists and writers who foster peace. Nobel said, every man, quote, ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph in midstream and write a new one. You know, a few things will change us as much as looking at our life as though it was finished today. You know, Alfred Nobel, after he died, like I said, one of the wealthiest men in the world at the time, his family fought over the money. They said, how could he give all that money away when so many starving people in Sweden? Now, do you really think they were thinking about the starving people in Sweden? Uh, no. They were thinking about their starving, greedy hearts. And so the Nobel Peace Prize was born. We're just going to close right here. I don't have time to look at the passage, but Luke 15, verse 1 to 7, talks about when God looks at human beings like sheep and He doesn't get excited about the 99 people that don't need to repent. He's already got them. He gets so excited about the one person that repents. All of heaven rejoices. And there is such a power when you act on how God really feels about you. What God's willing to do for you. How God cares about you. God's kindness, it says in the book of Romans, leads us towards repentance. And I want you to realize, believe and obey Jesus' words. Dig around the roots. Examine your passion and priorities. Because you will be passionate and you will have strong priorities once life is fixed the other side. And we all know they'll all be the same. But let's have them the same on this side. And then let God 
move your heart to act on how He feels about you. God wants us to repent. Amen? Um, I don't have time to show you that, but look at this proverb. Repentance is the key that opens any lock. I don't know where you're locked up today, but let's go after repenting. Amen? Before we take communion, we're going to say a prayer because Jesus truly has opened a lock for us. Amen? And it's intense that the Romans, who were some of the most brutal people, had a way, a devised way of killing people in all kinds of ways. We know about the cross. One of the other things they did, I've shared about this before, is they take a dead body and they tie it face to face to a living body. And all the junk from the dead body would go onto the living body till the person died from disease and infection. And it's, when you think about Romans 8, it says there is now no condemnation in Christ. That Jesus condemned sin in sinful man. That, that, that dead body is our life. That's our sinful nature. Face to face, nose to nose, junk coming out that's purifying the good side of who we are. But Jesus cuts away those ropes and that dead body, He condemns sin in the sinful man and it falls off and Marco can live and you can live. Let's pray for the communion right now. Our Father in Heaven, thank You so very much for condemning sin in sinful man. Thank You so very much, God, that Jesus did what He did, that we can repent, not just the big R, the one time to become a true Christian, but that we can repent every day over and over and over again. Father, let the cross be a time right now where we examine our hearts, figure out where we need to repent, and go after it like we never have before. Thank You for this new year. Thank You that we can return to You. Thank You for taking communion every week and that we can be washed in the blood every moment. Thank You for each person visiting here. I pray this would be today a step, a change of their whole life. And they would join repentance with us. In Jesus' name, Amen.